I remember hearing when I was a kid mostly, so this is coming into the world of Aaron yet again, this phrase more than once. So you could automatically assume that maybe this phrase was probably of the discipline nature, and it was. Do you ever have those moments where you recall a memory based on just a few words that someone says? Someone says something, you are like, oh, that triggers some memories, a response to something. Now, in case you didn't know already, I'm the older brother. I was also the oldest of the whole family unit going across all my cousins and stuff as well. But I was the older brother. And as the older brother, you have these moments where your younger sibling, I have one sister, she's three years younger than me and about three months as well. And now this isn't an age-dependent thing, and I'm pretty sure sibling rivalry absolutely goes both ways. They're just driving you nuts. Have you ever had a sibling that just drives you absolutely nuts? Yeah, my daughter's hand went up super quick. Peter, thank you for sharing. Uh, There's your testimony for this morning. You're out off the hook. But they're just driving you batty. But being a kid yourself, so I'm, I'm... providing a bit of a terms and conditions for me. (laughs) Clearly still finessing this whole idea of right and wrong principle. You take matters into your own hands. And remember, I'm I'm quite tall. I always have been. I'm older than my sister. So taking matters into my own hands was always quite a comfortable thing to do. Not the best sense of self-control maybe back then, but I've been known to act in a way that may not be the nicest by either getting in her ear, this might ring bells to you about some of your own experiences, or tricking them into doing something they'll in turn get in trouble for, so kind of coaxing them to do something that, say this, say this, oh, you're in trouble. Or a bit of roughhousing and some argy-bargy begins, because inevitably there's always a little bit of rough and tumble, right? Yep, Amelia, she's nodding her head. Ultimately, the parents, now us, it's almost like that whole ha-ha, now you have to deal with it thing. One or both get drawn into the mess and need to break up the situation and provide a little bit of composure to it, right? Now, that's just a basic memory that I recall sometimes, maybe. When I hear the words, the phrase, if you wouldn't like it done to you, then don't do it to your sister. If you wouldn't like it done to you, then don't do it. Don't do it at all. But remember, at this point, I'm a young kid. I'm not Aaron right now who has more insights into maybe what is meant in this phrase. So I go, all right then, this is interesting. What could I do to my sister that I like that she might not like? So therefore, because depending on how annoying my sister had been, all I heard back then was this challenge. It's like, oh, here we go. I wonder how I can get around this. There's a loophole, a loophole to being unkind, but a loophole more of a, nonetheless. I was a great big brother most of the time, pat myself on the back there, like she's not here to tell otherwise, but just ask me. I was a great big brother most of the time, but that was like the ultimate challenge, especially in the moment where we've just finished having a bit of, you know, conflict the ultimate challenge thrown out between siblings of, if you wouldn't like it done to you, what do I like? Don't do it to someone else. But when I go back to those times in my mind now and I actually reflect on that whole scenario, it actually becomes pretty clear to me that if the tables were turned and that was said to my sister because she was the aggravator in that situation, would I actually want my sister to begin plotting against me through this said loophole? And pretty resoundingly, the answer to that is no. 
But again, the words ring out, if you wouldn't like it done to you, then don't do it yourself. So clearly for all of us playing along here, the instruction is to treat your sister, your partner, your brother, your parents, the people you come into contact with regularly or even just on a daily basis, treat them well, treat them out of love, treat them how you would like to be treated. In fact, on a fun side fact for the day, I still remember what my mum had me do. Here we go, here's some of my mum's discipline. I didn't ask her permission to share this, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind. I still remember what my mum had me do when I did not meet these household expectations of essentially what was love. What mum had me do was write lines. And now, just to share a little bit more about my life, it's not the first time I've done lines. They did that at school at times, and sometimes you'd be a bit distracting in class. They'd make you write some lines. It happened. But the most important lines that I've probably ever written under command mum bless her and I'm not saying that as if she's passed I was with her last night had me writing out scripture and there was one particular scripture in particular and that was from 1 Corinthians that's not even our scripture for today but it was 1 Corinthians 13 it was from verse 4 to 8 now does anyone recognize that scripture at all 1 Corinthians 13 you will in a minute because it's quite commonly referred to or known as the love chapter of the Bible. That in verse 8 actually wraps up that portion of God-breathed text with the words, love never fails. Love never fails. She was trying to, my mum, my dear mum, to reorientate my behaviours with scripture. What a fantastic way of going about business. And it turns out they aren't household expectations at all, but they were God-instructed commands for every single one of us. Love is our calling. Scripture holds our answers. That's our phrase for today. Love is the calling. Scripture holds our answers. Now, I didn't understand the depth, the real depth of that phrase more than 20-odd years ago now. 20-odd to 17. Yeah, that's about right. If you wouldn't like it done to you, then don't do it yourself. At surface level, yeah, I I got it. But it actually takes on a deeper meaning at its very core. It goes right down to the very foundation of our heart, of our mind, of our very construct as individuals. And only then is when our response and our actions will then become impacted by it. Now... I've sat in the chair you're sitting in. We hear things preached on in church. We were blessed to be led last night by Adam. Maybe reference that we've touched on this type of a subject previously. And you're right, maybe a week ago, a year ago, the concept of love is not a new thing. A whole different age ago with a different person sharing the message. We may have heard something like this before. But here's the beauty of this. The words within our Bible are a living document. In the office world, we always talk about these living documents that like you can update and everyone sees it kind of go as you go. The Bible is like the ultimate living document. The words are for us yesterday. They are with us today and they will be with us forever just as our God is with us the same. So what is going to stand out new for us today is a question we have to ask ourselves. We have to be actually putting ourselves in that position to be actually open to hearing what might be 
trying to be said through the Spirit of God through Scripture today, any day, yesterday, today, forever. What is our attitude to receiving? How do we choose to respond once we have received? Because we can't be passive about it. We can't just sit by idly and, okay, cool, I've learned something new. We need to actually be intentional about it. So it begs the question, what are we filled with? It's like a question then asks another question. What are we being filled with? Because that is what will always come out when we are instantly triggered to respond, isn't it? If we're filled with rubbish, rubbish is going to come out. Like a cup of water, I was quite literally finishing off the sermon for today, yesterday morning, and it was after one of the kids had left out a cup of milk overnight, hadn't finished it, and it's like, I've got, to, I've got to deal with this. Put it in the sink, and I don't know, I'm weird. I just let the water run sometimes, and you probably go, water conservation, what are you doing? But I was watching it go into the cup and see what happens, right? So like a cup of water, when filled to the brim, if you add more, what happens to the water? It overflows, it pours out, doesn't it? Thank you for the participation. Is that water clean and pure? Sometimes, if it's just water. Is it brown and dirty? Depends on what the contents of the cup was. What is being put in that cup that ultimately will spill out and make an impact? So when you find those moments that trigger a response, what is coming out of us? What is coming out of you? Because with matters of the mind and of the heart, they can be very hidden things when they're not actually being attended to. They can corrupt us very quickly and very easily. They can easily be pushed aside as we just go on about our daily business. But to consciously think about and go on a personal journey of nurturing and developing our minds and developing our hearts is actually required. If we want the overflow of that to be anywhere near positive but even more so loving. Our response, as hard as this is, with all the things that are pushing at us in this world, our response, we're called to love. We're called to love, operate out of that space. Because we're called to do that, love never fails. And scripture provides us not only the framework, but the actual puzzle pieces to then change and transform our lives for the better. So our scripture for today, Amelia Jade, comes from Matthew 22, and we're going to start at verse 34 today, where it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that comes out of Deuteronomy 6.5, even just that portion of Scripture within Scripture. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bit of extra insight. We're looking at Leviticus 19 there within Matthew. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. 
He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That's Psalm 110. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So just quickly, we're going to touch on the two factions that were mentioned in our text today. They were the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were briefly mentioned. Jesus knew that the way they were both going about filling their cups wasn't impacting their response. The Sadducees are a priestly sect who held to the temple as a way of maintaining status, maintaining money and power, more power than the Pharisees as such, using the Torah, which is our first five books of the Bible, uh, handed down through Moses, as a tool to govern and maintain control. But ultimately, they opposed the idea of resurrection, and they actually sought self-authority over divine authority. They denied the existence of a spiritual world and actually pandered to Rome as their ultimate authority, getting more involved in politics over a religion, let alone belief out of faith. And now to add to that inflated ego of our Sadducee friends, it is even believed by some scholars that the Hebrew word Sadak, probably pronouncing that wrong, was where they got their name from, which actually translates as to be righteous. To be righteous not as an instruction, but as a statement of their own self-proclaimed righteousness. I was saying we are righteous. Their extravagant self-sufficiency got them to the point of denying God's involvement in their everyday life because what they were doing is they were too busy filling their cups with self-importance and worldly possession and getting that status for themselves. And not to derail our focus here, but see what the traps of world does to everyone. Like we've talked about it as in a modern day context, but even here biblically, it's just as evident as it is in our current day. You either live for the world or you live for Christ. Are we Sadducees? Everything we have comes from God anyway, so love looks like generosity, not like greed. Because even our ability to be generous comes from God through his love. But if we have Sadducee traits, today we can quote, use scripture for ourselves. We can quote Jesus' words in scripture, actually in Matthew 6, that paraphrase say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. Sadly, the Sadducees were largely lost to the world. They were filling their cup with power and possession. They weren't involved in passionate participation in the presence of God. The Pharisees, however, sat below the Sadducees, as we mentioned before, on this hierarchical tree. And they prided themselves on following religious laws and traditions over all else. Now, the modern-day equivalent for these guys, and quite typically it was men, would be those people who follow their impulses to be seen as righteous. So there is a similarity there between the Sadducees claiming that for themselves. But by following certain laws, by routinely going to church, but sadly ignoring the deeper, more important matters of the heart. 
This idea that church alone would be the Willy Wonka golden ticket to the final destination of heaven kind of sat with them, with their idea of following all the traditions, making sure we're doing it right. This is how we should be doing it. This is the structure that's been kind of man-made. Is it right? How did they become more important than why they did what they did? The how became more important than the why of what they did. The Pharisees were somewhat lost in tradition. Now, Jesus is a pretty interesting guy, right? Yeah? I wrote that and thought, that's weird. We can, in fact, learn a lot from him if we choose to. And he invites each and every one of us through his spirit each and every day to make that connection. We can learn everything we need, need, from him and from his teachings. And that kind of sounds like a bit of a weird thing for me to say in the middle of a worship service on a Sunday whilst listening to the message for the day, but it's not wrong. We can learn a lot from Christ. In fact, we can learn everything we need from him. And in a sense, I'm deliberately being ironic and a little facetious to stress the point that Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. My concern, though, is that there's most likely some of us here or maybe listening to this elsewhere or in other spaces that haven't truly met Jesus and allowed themselves to be taught by him personally. At one stage of my life, through going to church each and every day, going through the cycle, junior soldier, corps cadet, all that sort of stuff, I just believed that, yeah, I'm a Christian. But until that moment where there was that personal invested decision made by myself only when I was about 15 or 16 did I truly understand what it meant to be a Christ follower it wasn't through just going through the routine are we sitting on the idea of this Willy Wonka golden ticket we're either lost in what the world is expecting and becoming lost in that like the Sadducees Or are we so wrapped up in the traditions of religion and what we should do because that's what we do and how we should do it that the personal side of a relationship with Jesus and learning from him has actually begun to be lost? When was the last time we spoke with Jesus and heard his voice? The only way to the Father is through Christ and acknowledging him as our Lord and Saviour, that he died on the cross for each and every one of our sins and imparted his spirit on us to help guide us through each and every day. Can we, only we will know, at the depth of our heart, claim that for ourselves today? It's a rhetorical question. But you'll know it in your heart, deep down in yourself, if that's true or not. And I pray that that's true. I remember sitting in certain spaces and feeling like, a spotlight's been put on you and certain things are being said and it's like, whoa, settle down. Don't ignore those feelings. Let today be your realignment to Christ. Let today be your moment of transformation to that which comes through the love of Jesus. Because let me tell you right now, love is our calling, each and every one of us. Scripture holds the answers. And those are the two things that we're talking and we're taking out of today. Love, Scripture. 
If we don't have these abundantly within our lives, then we need to. Because it will change everything. The world around us talks about all sorts of things that are the goat. Now, do you know what that reference is? The goat? When someone says that's the goat, here we go. Greatest of all time. Thanks, Peter. Greatest of all time. And like they wrap this idea of the goat thing around people or around products. And actually, in just slang language at times, you can pretty much goat anything if you feel like it's the greatest in your life, can't you, Peter? I know. It's crazy. So for the world of basketball, who would be the goat? Michael Jordan is quite commonly put in there. There's some others as well, but they're wrong. Um, when If you're talking about soccer, another sport, football, sorry. Uh, Lionel Messi, right? He would be up there. Let's see, it's contentious already. Like, there was a roll of the eyes. Crunchy nut cornflakes for me are the goat cereal. You want to argue about that? No. Yes? <laughs> but it's subjective, isn't it? It's subjective. The list goes on and is actually quite, like I say, subjective, depending on who you ask. But the scriptures goat one thing. And we know the scriptures to be true, right? Right? (laughs) We know the scriptures to be true. Yes. Good. The goat of scriptural command is to love. Loving God first. So then we know how to love in every other part of our lives. That is why love is the calling. And where did we find this truth? Where do we find our answers? We find them in Scripture. Are we reading them? I know I've said that many times, but it's because it's so darn important. It is so important. Are we reading our Scriptures and are we letting them speak to us? Because they will. Now, Karen and I, I'm blessed with Karen in my life because at times I can get a bit complacent but Karen is steadfast most of the time especially when it comes to content around biblical study and stuff like that I know study is probably the wrong word but we were watching a message on YouTube the other day it was a lady sharing a message at a conference over in America somewhere but we were watching this message on YouTube the other day And they were sharing, and she mentioned the living nature of the Word of God, this living nature. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit before. But have you ever been in church or at a church conference or, say, back in Congress days or something, and felt like the person speaking the words of Scripture or preparing the message and sharing what they've prepared was actually putting that spotlight right on you? Like something that was being said felt like it was punching you right in the, drop the microphone, right in the chest. It's that aggressive. (laughs) Have you ever been reading the Word of God, the Bible, and it could be a passage you've read so many times, and suddenly the words jump off the page and hit you right between the eyes as if you've never, ever read them before? Do you know what that is? That is the Spirit of God. That is Jesus directly trying to speak into your life at that very moment. The devil will not highlight scripture to you. He doesn't want you reading that book. So when you're reading the words of scripture and something points out to you, there's a good reason for it. 
He doesn't want your focus. The devil doesn't want your focus in that space. He wants us watching telly. Just generic stuff. Because obviously we watch that video on TV. Um, Or being on your phone. Or having unhealthy conversations. Or gossiping. Or just wasting our time away with frivolous activity. And that is the power of Scripture. That the answers coming through Scripture that are actually then calling to love. When this thing points out to you in your moment, this is where the living word is such a powerful thing. Those answers will be drawn out for you. That is the power of our living scripture. We need to fix things within our lives to be able to love fully as the overflow of our filling up occurs. And I'm going back to this glass of milk. You obviously don't want to drink it because it's been left out warm. You put it in the sink and you start filling it with tap water. As the clean, clear water mixes with the milk, it slowly overflows and forces that milk out. When that clean, clear water is going into that cup, it slowly takes over what was once in that cup. And you see it start to become clearer and clearer. Once you couldn't see through it at all, it was pretty murky. There was some stuff going on there. Yes, it was milk, but you get my analogy, right? And now we're left with clear water, or very, very close to clear water. The overflow has changed because of what was being put in. As the clear water was introduced to that cup, the effects became instantly noticeable. Jesus answered these Sadducees and these Pharisees by using Scripture and by operating out of love. And by the end of his conversations with these two parties, in verse 46, it says, No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. These ultimate authorities, these leaders of the law, these devout, religious, traditional-minded individuals had no answer to Christ coming through love and answering with Scripture. Jesus got his answers from Scripture. And nothing has an answer for that when Scripture is known, lived, understood, and used appropriately. And Scripture drive home, drives home this call to love. In verse 40 today, it says, All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God and to love others as yourself. Now for the Sadducees to hear that, when they got their power and presence from pandering to Rome, what position were they left with when Christ called out to them and saying that love trumps the law? And it actually then echoes the words that I wrote lines from when I was a naughty boy. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 when it says says that love never fails. And it takes us further later in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 when it says, And now these three, three fingers, remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the goat. (laughs) Greatest of all time. Our hope 
comes through Christ. Our faith is informed and transformed by the Spirit. But the outpouring of that hope that we know and coming to faith that we begin to understand is shown through our love. So when we get to scriptures, then like, here's one we've talked about a few times. Galatians 5.23, our fruits of the Spirit scripture, with love being the very first of the fruits mentioned. It's no surprise to me that it's at the start. And it says, against such things, there is no law. It takes on further meaning again, because remembering from verse 40 of today, from Matthew 22, the text saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If we choose love, let alone the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to say them again because we need to know these like that in our minds. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. What law would, even be, would we even be looking or likely to break if we purely operated out of love, let alone the rest of those? The law doesn't matter if we're operating like that. Jesus uses scripture to provide his answers to life's challenges. The Sadducees were out to get Jesus because he threatened their position, in their opinion. The Pharisees saw the Sadducees get owned by Jesus. They were put in their place appropriately. And so they tried to put Jesus in his place place themselves and it didn't work out much better for them because as we heard at the end of verse 46 they had nothing but Christ always operated out of love and utilized scripture so often within how he answers he answers the devil in the wilderness when he's being tempted with scripture he references Deuteronomy Leviticus Psalms that's why I mentioned it whilst we're reading our scripture today as his answers, as his way of almost providing challenge to where are you at? Matthew 22 verse 37 in the Passion Translation of our Bible says this, and it's something for us each to hold. Love the Lord your God with every, think of how deep the word every means, with every passion of your heart, with all all in every. It's very complete, isn't it? With all the energy of your being and with every thought that is within you. Jesus knows our heart and our mind. Jesus knew the malice that came behind the confrontations with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And if you read Matthew 22 from verse 1 through even later today, I encourage you to do it. You'll see that it even says that Christ, knowing the minds of, knew their intent. Even with those confrontations with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he knew what was in their heart before they even spoke a word. Where and what are we operating out of? Have we committed our hearts and our minds to him? Are we living out of a response of love that we're called to for all as guided by Christ or were we outpouring that murky, milky, dirty water still? Where are we going for our answers? Are we taking them to Christ and searching out his divine insight 
through scripture or simply listening to all the other voices and information around us to find out our way. Because there's only one way. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus. Jesus is the way. I don't want us, I don't want to be, I don't want any of us to be a Sadducee and to be lost in these pursuits of man, possession, power and prominence. I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to be a Pharisee and get so hung up with the how and the who and the what we do as religious practice over going deep into relationship with God and operating out of that as to why we come to worship, why we participate in worship and then how we worship and then live out our lives knowing that worship isn't this one one and a bit hours on a Sunday it's a life lived we need to respond to the call of the father and if you do feel in the pit of your stomach or the ache of your heart this morning the need to truly respond to the loving call of the father to come into a relationship with him then don't delay don't delay Because we may have been sitting in church, and I shared that I've been through this journey myself. We may be sitting in church just because that's what we've done for so long, but it's not enough. We must accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior through the love that He showed us through His death and resurrection to show that transformation of life is possible, but only through Him. We've talked about Him as the gate to the sheepfold before. We go through Him, through the name of Christ. His love saw him come to the world created, knowing that it would end with him trading his divine place, seated in glory for a cross, and he willingly died for us, his innocent life paying the cost for all of us. I live to see people take up the offer to know Christ for themselves because I don't want his sacrifice to not be understood by anybody because it was for everybody. I pray that we take on the words that if more of you, Lord, means less of me, take everything, Lord. All of you is all we need. So take everything. We need to respond to this without delay. Our calling is to love, to know the love of Jesus and to be that love for others. Scripture provides our answers. The Spirit has been given to us to guide us and He will speak through it if we put ourselves in that position to be open to hearing from Him. It's up to us to make that choice. In a moment, we'll have a song play that echoes some of those words just read. His love saw Him come to the world that He created knowing that it would end with him trading his divine place, seated in glory for a cross, and he willingly died for us. His innocent life paid the cost for us. Consider that offer for each and every one of us today. Thanks, Amelia.